Dr. Tripp voted yes. Dr. Wharton voted yes. Dr. Benacoloke voted yes. Dr. Offit voted yes. Dr. McInnes voted yes. Dr. Lee voted yes. Mr. Talman voted yes. And that concludes the vote. So we do have a favorable vote. And that concludes this portion of the meeting. So I will now hand the meeting back over to Dr. Monto. Thank you, everybody. That roll call vote might not sound dramatic, but a year ago, on December 10th, 2020, it was a game changer. Around 5.30 p.m., after an all-day virtual meeting, a committee of the Food and Drug Administration voted on whether the benefits of Pfizer's COVID vaccine outweighed the risks for use on individuals 16 years old and up. The result was favorable. Most members voted yes for the vaccine. And on December 14th, 2020, quickly following that vote for emergency use authorization, the first deliveries of the COVID-19 vaccine began. In this episode of C-SPAN's The Weekly, we'll look back at other times emergency use for other vaccines was discussed and invoked and authorized after this. We begin our look back at emergency use authorization for vaccines in 2003, specifically January 28, 2003, and President George W. Bush's State of the Union Address, a speech dominated by language and proposals connected to the post-9-11 war on terror. In this clip, President Bush is discussing how to fight that war and protect Americans on the home front. I ask you tonight to add to our future security with a major research and production effort to guard our people against bioterrorism called Project BioShield. The budget I send you will propose almost $6 billion to quickly make available effective vaccines and treatments against agents like anthrax, botulinum toxin, Ebola, and plague. We must assume that our enemies would use these diseases as weapons, and we must act before the dangers are upon us. You heard President Bush mention Project BioShield. A few months after that State of the Union address, a House hearing examined the BioShield proposal. Among the witnesses in front of the House Committee on Government Reform on April 4, 2003, Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. We know Dr. Fauci now from the battle against COVID. And even though that day's discussion in 2003 was about bioterror, we recognize his use of the term emergency use authorization. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss Project BioShield with you today. And as you know from the legislative language, the purpose of the Project BioShield is to accelerate the research, development, purchase, and availability of effective medical countermeasures against chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear terrorism and public health emergencies. Project BioShield, as you, Mr. Chairman, summarized so well, is a three-pronged program. It increases the authorities and flexibilities of the NIH to expedite research. It establishes a secure funding source to purchase countermeasures, and it establishes an FDA emergency use authorization. Also testifying at that April 4, 2003 hearing, along with Dr. Fauci, President Bush's FDA commissioner, Mark McClellan, he too discussed emergency use authorization. The rationale for the emergency use authorization is to provide the most effective, most potentially effective treatments to Americans in emergency situations. This is a limited authority program that only applies 
when the Secretary and others have determined that there is a national emergency because of a bioterrorism threat or another type of public health emergency. And it only involves agents where there are not effective approved treatments already available, but where there may be treatments in the pipeline where the potential benefits outweigh the potential risks. We have a few now that are marching as quickly as possible towards approval and towards a full demonstration of safety and effectiveness, and that remains our goal. As we've heard, the original intent for emergency use authorization for vaccines was not as much for naturally occurring diseases, but as a countermeasure to protect against bioterrorism. Still, the law, when it was enacted in 2004, creating the emergency use category, was applied most notably for the battle against COVID. We move forward six years, another hearing and another FDA commissioner. April 30th, 2009, the Health Subcommittee of the House Energy and Commerce Committee discusses the H1N1 flu outbreak and the U.S. federal response. Among the witnesses, Acting FDA Commissioner Joshua Sharfstein. This time, the mention of emergency use authorization related to this new naturally occurring disease, H1N1. In this clip, you'll briefly hear the voice of Representative Frank Pallone, Democrat from New Jersey. We are responding to this threat. I appreciate this opportunity to discuss the agency's response, including our approval of several emergency use authorizations earlier this week and the efforts of several internal FDA teams. Let me turn to the emergency use authorizations. Section 564 of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which was added by the Project BioShield Act of 2004, which I know came through this committee, permits the FDA commissioner to issue an emergency use authorization following a determination and declaration of a public health emergency. This allows the use of an unapproved product or an approved product for an unapproved use in a declared emergency. Dr. Sharfstein, I think some of the members are having a hard time hearing you. Just pull the mic a little closer to you. Sorry about that. Is that better? That's better, yeah. I apologize. I was talking about emergency use authorizations, and um, FDA can issue these in an emergency under four conditions. First, we have defined that the product can cause a serious or life-threatening disease or condition. Second, based on the totality of the scientific evidence, it's reasonable to believe the product will be effective against the disease or condition. Third, that the known and potential benefits of the use outweigh the known and potential risks. And fourth, that there's no adequate approved and available alternative. This past Sunday, the acting HHS secretary did issue a public health emergency declaration and then followed that with declarations justifying the emergency use of certain antivirals, in vitro diagnostics, and personal respiratory protection devices. Later that year, the Senate held a hearing on getting the H1N1 flu vaccine sent to where it was needed most. The hearing was held against the backdrop of two crucial numbers going the wrong way. More flu deaths than previously realized and fewer vaccine doses than originally promised. But Senator Joe Lieberman, independent from Connecticut and chairman of the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, did acknowledge that H1N1 vaccine was developed in record time and safely. And at that November 17, 2009 hearing, Senator Lieberman cited emergency use authorization. The first thing I want to do is say thank you that uh, the Food and Drug Administration did issue an emergency use, use authorization. And for people in the room or watching on TV, as I have learned as we've gotten into this, the IV antivirals are needed for the most, the, the, the people with H1N1 who are the most sick, usually in, in intensive care, and therefore cannot take the normal uh, antivirals by mouth and so have to have 
HIV. Um, and uh, so I, I, I appreciate that that was done um, very much. We come now to the Zika virus spread through mosquito bites. And we return to a familiar figure, Dr. Anthony Fauci. On February 8, 2016, at the White House, when Barack Obama was president, Dr. Fauci briefed the media on developing the vaccine to combat the Zika virus, and he advocated emergency use. So with regard to the vaccine, uh, one of the positive things that we have is that we've, we've developed vaccines against flavivirus before, and we have a, a vaccine technology that we developed for West Nile, which is also a flavivirus. It went to phase one, looked good, safe, and induced a good response. Trouble is we didn't have a pharmaceutical company that wanted to take it to the next step of advanced development. We're not going to have that trouble with Zika because there are pharmaceutical companies that are involved. So right now we're making what's called a construct for the Zika vaccine. That would take a couple of months to get it through the tox studies, the FDA permission to go ahead and go in humans. We'd probably start in humans sometime in the summer do a phase one trial. That would take about three months. I anticipate we'll be finished before 2016. Then you go into an advanced phase 2A and 2B, which means that if the epidemic is still in the point where it is now, where there's a lot of cases, you can determine whether a vaccine is safe and effective within a relatively short period of time, measured in six months or more, six, seven, eight months, not five years or so. People say a vaccine won't be ready for three to five years. That's true if you're talking about dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's and getting an FDA absolutely approved, safe and effective vaccine. But when you're in an emergency situation, I think we can move much more quickly than that and perhaps get an accelerated approval. Which brings us to the present disease, COVID, and this episode's bonus clip. We heard at the beginning that on December 10th, 2020, the FDA authorized emergency use of the Pfizer vaccine. That was a month after the November 3rd presidential election. On November 13th, 2020, President Donald Trump held a news conference on the COVID-19 vaccine. President Trump anticipated, through emergency use authorization, quick vaccine approval, and that happened a month later. We will work to secure an emergency use authorization, which should be coming down extremely soon and my administration will then coordinate the distribution of the vaccine and uh, it will be approved i think again it will be approved very very quickly we hope the average development timeline for the vaccine including clinical tests and manufacturing can take eight to twelve years through operation warp speed we're doing it in less than one year Uh, if you had a different administration with different people What we've done would have taken, in my opinion, three, four, five years, and it would have been in the FDA forever. This is five times faster than the fastest prior vaccine development in history. Five times faster. Say it again, five times faster. Nobody can believe it, actually. Three other vaccines are also in the final stages of trial. They'll arrive within a few weeks, and they will also be mass-produced, and the delivery will be very rapid. We're ready to go. That's it for this episode of C-SPAN's The Weekly. Reminder that you can conduct your own searches for what politicians and government officials say about diseases, vaccines, and other science matters by using the C-SPAN video library. Just go to cspan.org and use the search bar on top. It's free, and you don't need an advanced degree in microbiology. Thanks for listening, and happy searching.